So when you fail, you learn from that failure. Uh, and I think a lot of people are very frightened of failure. The minute you wake up, your, your mindset will attract everything to you. And they are basic fundamental laws of the universe, which have always been proven, but a lot of people don't understand how to be able to deal with it. If you have belief that no matter what is in front of you, the only obstacle that exists is the one that you place in front of yourself. Opening up Pintos was a sort of project to, to get yourself in gear and, and, and get out of that sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. isolation. Did it work? It did, it did. And I think it did for many reasons. I mean, the thing is, is I've just spent the last like six years. The following is a conversation with entrepreneur, restaurateur, and proud Prestonian, Anthony Smith. Many of you will know him from the amazing Bar Pintos, situated opposite the Harris Museum. In this episode, we discuss the power of belief, how to use failure to achieve success, religion, dealing with haters, and his decision to close Bar Pintos at the start of this year. The aim of this podcast is to shine a light on Prestonians just like Anthony, who've chosen to invest and further our proud city. Anthony has not just invested and supported our city, but this podcast would not have been possible without his support also. And so we're very proud to have him on for a chat. In this episode, he brings you some of the secrets of his success and worldviews. We hope you enjoy it and we hope you find it useful. I read last night that Lantai was a, a nod to you wearing parkas when you were a kid and it's an amalgamation yeah. of uh, Lord... Lord, Lord, Anthony, Anthony. Lord Anthony Clothing, Lord Anthony Clothing, the, the great iconic 80s um, clothing range. Yeah, it was. Um, do you know what? The, re the really weird thing about that with Lantai was um, it was only six years after um, we set the business up. I, I was living at High Bank Road. I was renting a property down there. The kids had gone to bed. For some reason, I was just getting levered by myself downstairs and a bottle of red wine listening to the Stone Roses. Um, and I'm dancing around listening to the Stone Roses. And I picked up a picture of the, the Lord Anthony Parker jackets. Um, and I looked at the colours. They were like the petrol blue with a bright, luminous orange. And it was only at that moment that I realised that the branding that we'd done for the business was actually inadvertent in the actual colours of the Parker jackets that I was wearing. Yeah. So when I rang up the branding company the day after, um, and, I'm, and I'm quite short and abrupt with people sometimes, and I was like, can you just tell us, like, what was your thought process behind the branding colours of Lantai? Well, you know, when you're in corporate marketing at that point, I just thought, right, okay, shut up, I'm not listening to you. Put the phone down because I thought you're just going to blag us. And it was like one of those things that all the way through, there are, there are instances that happen in your life that... I just it's it's like fate driven if you will or like the law of attraction which I'm a big believer on is that if we like Lennon McCartney the Beatles wouldn't have been successful without Lennon McCartney Oasis without the likes of the Gallagher brothers at that moment in time when we built that company at Lantai I was like should we call it Aquarium and the wife laughed at me um, and I was like what should we call it she goes well your mum used to call you Lanty as a kid because you wore Lord Anthony Parker jackets and it was like Lanty come downstairs for your tea. And I thought, I'm not calling it Lanty because it sounds a bit soft, but we'll call it Lantai. So everybody thought it was Leona and because L A N T E I, Leona and Anthony's electrical inspection, which again absolutely blew me out. But it wasn't, it was down to the fact we just flipped the two letters around so we could spell Lantai. Um, because my mum calling me Lanty after Lord Anthony Parker jackets. But the branding colours of it was just one of those 
little quirky mysteries of life that we could have chose anything, but we didn't. We chose the blue and we chose the orange, or it was chosen for us. And six years later, when I was got Levin dancing away to the Stone Roses, it sort of twigged. I was like, Christ almighty, proper spooky stuff. You spoke about the law of attraction. I've seen on your Facebook you've posted stuff by Napoleon Hill and yeah, thinking grow rich. Is that belief directed you in any way? In what everything, you've done? everything has. I, I was, I was a typical um, at a music band, travel around the country, sang in front of thousands of people, um, surfing on my mate's sofas and stuff like that. And I met Leona, uh, my wife, and she introduced me to this video. I think you can watch it free on Netflix called The Secret, um, narrated by you know an amazing gentleman called Bob Proctor, uh, based upon the book by Rhonda Byrne. Two hours of my life I was never going to get back again. I watched it and I thought, what a bunch of tree-hugging, absolute mystic shit. And I thought, I'm not doing this. And I watched it again. She made me watch it again. And... When I first started in business 12 years ago, I went to this thing called a BNI. So like anybody that's in business out there will know about the BNI breakfast meetings, six o'clock in the morning, a tickle trout, and you're all getting these little pieces of paper to, to thank you for the business. And you end up getting up and doing a presentation about your own company. And I met a gentleman there, which I'm still very close to today. Uh, he's a bit of a life coach fella uh, called Andrew Stirrup um, from a company called Fresh Perspective. And... He had a book which was wrapped in in like a really shiny blue wrapping and I've never wanted any of these prizes. So he did his speech about the law of attraction and different things uh, and you all put your business cards into a bowl and somebody picks it out and it was mine. And that book, when I opened it, when he sat down with me, uh, it was Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, which was one of like the absolute cornerstones. There are a few books in life that I believe people should read. Uh, one of them is, you know, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And it's not about just being financially rich. It could be about being rich of inside yourself. Mm. But it also is very much based upon that whole 13 principles that the most successful people in human history, from Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, to Jesus Christ, to Mother Teresa, Tiger Woods, Napoleon Bonaparte, they've all followed these, you know, these 13 principles. And I sat down and... He gave me this book and wrote inside was, I hope this helps you on your journey as much as this helped me. Um, and we've been very good friends ever since. That was just what I thought fluky. Second time I was going up to Newcastle and uh, I wanted to buy a nice cream machine so I could make some honey and lavender ice cream. The wife said she'll buy me one and it was snowing. So I'm going to my mates in Newcastle, got there and outside his door, snow everywhere, big mound of the snow. So I give it a kick and there's a box still in a heat shrink wrapper with an ice cream machine. I says, Simon, you've got an ice cream machine here. He said, I'm chucking it, Tony, because... I've got no room in my kitchen. I says, can I have it? And he was like, of course you can. So I put that in my car. She's like, Lord of Attraction for rubbish. So then the third time, which really changed it, we was at Ford and Etal in the northeast, which is like a little steam rail that we've got here in Preston. And it had just left. And I was with my sister in their car as well. And I said, we'll drive somewhere. We'll get a little table. We'll let the kids sleep and we'll just have something to eat. So we drove around because we find somewhere that's coursing well. And I kid you not, it was a little thatched pub and there were like four parking spaces outside and four beer tables. The two end ones were taken. The two middle ones were empty, both tables. And and I just looked at Leona and went, I'm telling you. And at that moment, third time round, I went, there's something in this. And from that moment forward, I've been a strong believer uh, and, a, and a firm practicer of the law of attraction. Um, and it has completely changed my life. Yes. Along with some of the little bits as well. I'm I'm laughing when you first said about that because I'm probably in the what's all this tree hugging crap and Rachel from Bird Design who yeah. obviously did this place, she's constantly telling me to watch the secret. 
Oh, mate. And I am probably it's... where you are at that stage of resistance, but slowly coming round to the, the prospect that there might be something in it. Oh, there is something about it. You attract what you think of the most. And I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to draw on that quite a lot. Sometimes you don't really... Uh, not believe it or you you don't really practice what you preach but you do you do attract what you think of the most if you think about it i mean when i went to set up a business i turned around to me my family when i was very very young i says like i'll be a multimillionaire when i'm older um and i've always had that strong belief that you know there is no such thing as failure failure carries with it the seeds of an equal or greater reward so when you fail you learn from that failure uh, and I think a lot of people are very frightened of failure mm. and they don't really understand the lessons that that failure gives you. You know, you 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 make a mistake and you learn from it. If you make the same mistake again, it's a choice because you can't make mistakes twice because you choose to do the same thing again. So with that failure, it carries with it the seeds of an equal or greater reward, meaning that if you do it again, it, can either, it can't be any worse if you do exactly the same thing again. It can either be the same or better than. So we set forward in order to be able to look at building a business, um, always with the mindset you've got to put the work in. It's a great deal of sacrifice. And one thing that I've learned on my journey is that if you were to speak to a lot of people that are incredibly successful today and you say that you go back 20 years and you say to them, you can have this amount of money, but along the way you are going to lose these friends, these family members, you're going to go through this trauma, this trial, uh, and, and this hardship. Most people with a brain cell will turn around and say, I don't want it. Because there is a cost that goes with that, but you have to have a genuine belief and a blind vision in in both your your purpose within society and life and the impact that you can have positively on the people around you, but also in your belief in being able to achieve exactly what you set out to achieve. And it's because of that you will attract you know, money attracts money, if you will. Mm. If you if you are hanging around with negative people, you will start to feel more negative. It will suck the life force out of you. If you get out of bed in a bad mood, you're likely to be late for work. Everybody in the roads will be hampering your driving. If you stub your toe, all them sort of things. The minute you wake up, your, your mindset will attract everything to you. And they are basic fundamental laws of the universe, which... I've always been proven, but a lot of people don't understand how to be able to deal with it because either they're a bit frightened of it or they just see it as being mumbo jumbo. It's like you could turn around and say, right, well, I'm going to use a lot of attraction to win the lottery. And you'll win the lottery, but it doesn't mean you win it next week or the week after, but you might win it in about a year's time. It might not be the national lottery. It might be a health lottery. Mm. It might be a lottery win that the fact that you'll find that very that very one person that you fall in love with and create the most amazing life, that to you might be the lottery win. But ultimately, if you believe that you're going to go out and win the lottery, you will achieve that. Mm. And I think a lot of people are conditioned from a very early age that stop daydreaming. Um, you're not going to college because we never had an education so therefore you've got to follow in the same footsteps as us from a societal point of view it, a lot is done to be able to drag all these little things away from people because if you didn't you would have like a, a world full of genius entrepreneurs that, that firmly believe that they would achieve mm. and would go out and, and just blindly go out and you know and be able to uh, to be able to make it happen so there's a lot to it it's worth watching it's worth watching. It does take a lot of belief in it, but there's no time scale to it. It's not like you can, you know, go out and, you know, you, you look at it from look at it from the Bar Pinchos perspective. I wanted to put something conceptually different in Preston. You know, the, the responses that we've had when we closed was was far beyond whatever I thought we was going to get. The, the reviews we had since we opened, um, the vibe that we created, the bloody MasterChef critic that walked through our doors on a Tuesday night and wrote some kind words in the in the Guardian, the Observer. Is that not proof that the law of attraction exists? Mm -hmm. 
If you have belief that no matter what is in front of you, the only obstacle that exists is the one that you place in front of yourself, then you remove that obstacle and you become the very thing that God intended you to be, which is the very best version of yourself that can be. And if you choose not to do that, it's a choice, but a choice you either consciously or subconsciously inflict on yourself. You you mentioned God there, so you clearly you're a man of faith as well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a practicing Catholic as much as I possibly can. You know, there are areas of it that do test my faith, and I think even <laughs> at this moment in time, um, with with uh, failing relatives or, or ill relatives and and certain things that go on, it does test your faith. But belief systems, I think, are are important no matter what belief system you have. You know, to to being able to build a successful and happy life. Do you think you could have got where? You've- you are now without the belief in, in both God and uh, the power of manifestation and... No, not at all. Not at all. Because it, it anchors you down and it's not just something you turn to. I mean, the thing is what you got, what the thing is that I think is important for, for listeners to, to, to appreciate that whatever God it is that you worship, or even if you don't worship a God, or if you worship many gods, or if you have, it's the belief system which is important. So it doesn't have to be centered around, you know, a, a deity of any description. Um, I think there are lots of things in, you know, the the, the teachings of Abraham and, and the subsequent prophets there afterwards, which are great stories to be able to give us an understanding as to how best to not necessarily live your life but how to be able to interpret some of the things that we experience as people moving forward but that isn't essential that your belief system comes from um scripture that was written or from words you know past the prophets mm-hmm. um or so on and so forth whatever you can have atheists out there you you have atheists or people that believe in in no gods whatsoever they will have a belief system in probably themselves but still having a strong belief system as something to be able to center yourself on I believe is is important in being able to sort of help you in them times of trouble because I think especially nowadays there's a lot of people that struggle with understanding where they fit with inside society um, how they're able nobody ever teaches you how to be able to bring up kids handle a marriage and run a business all these things are trial and error um, but having a belief system even if it's a belief in yourself. Um, I think is, is is vitally important. No, I don't think at all I'd be where I am if I didn't have very strong belief systems in one form or another. Doesn't mean I agree with everything that's written inside the, the, the New Testament or everything that's written inside the, 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 the Bible itself. Um, but that doesn't mean that it detracts away from that whole principle that if you take... Um, you know, I've lost it. The, the version of the Bible that that Christ's or Jesus' uh, Jesus's word is written in red. Uh, if you was to remove all of the all of the words out of that particular textbook, you will find that Jesus will answer a question with a question, and it will be more of a more of a pull technique of being able to draw you to understanding mm-hmm. the answer rather than somebody leveling down um, a pathway for you to be able to follow. And it's it's a very persuasive way of being able to get you to understand that you hold all the answers. You just need either free mentorship or some other sort of like direction, the ability to be able to realize you have them and and how to be able to get how to be able to get at them easier i think at its root i think what we have nowadays is a lack of meaning for a lot of people and a belief system is a way to give your life meaning and then that's why people become polarized into extreme views because they're just looking to identify with a certain group and and find meaning in their life and i think even in me a belief in yourself i think is very good 
But I think having an external belief system, whether it's in the manifestation of the universe or whether it's in God, is like a North Star. It's, it's, it's much easier to follow that or at least to see where you want to get to than just trying to, because you can always compromise, always say, well, I believe I should go to the gym, but I'm a little bit, you know, I don't feel so good today. Maybe whereas a stringent set of rules says, no, this is the, the path that we follow. This is what you do. Yeah, I mean, it's it, and again, it's like with, with like the the belief system. It's, I think, I think society, I think society at large, in some sectors, in some quarters, I think has um, a bit of an identity crisis of sorts. I think when people talk about God, uh, I think they get a little bit put off about it. Um, but I also think there are other sections sectors of society or you know swathes of society. I mean, I kind of like. I understand, I mean, the books that I have at home will range from um, a deeper understanding of Judaism, to Judaism, um, to the understanding of Islam, to Christianity. I've got the Bible, the Quran, and a few different things. And I understand that from me, from my perspective, because I used to do a lot of art as well, is in order to be able to create art, even if I don't appreciate or I don't like a certain style of art, I need to appreciate all forms of art to be able to create art itself. Mm. But I think to be able to understand the, the underlying meaning of of text and scripture is to have a broad understanding of it all in order to be able to then figure out exactly where you sit but i think when you take all of that away the the, the base principle um of the what one would consider to be the three main religions um you know there, there are more grains of grains there, there are more children of abraham on this planet than there are grains of sand um is to treat people with a level of respect in which they deserve it, to treat people as you would wish to be treated. Mm. And I think that is that is the key message throughout. And I think that the the emergence of um, social media channels, your Twitters, um, the anonymity that, that comes with all of that, the ability to be able to believe. I mean, I never realised how brutal people were until they opened up a restaurant. And the, the, sometimes the people that walk in here and the way they, they talk to 17-year-old girls is absolutely atrocious. They have a level of expectation and a, and a sort of like a misguided belief that they have the right to treat you and speak to you in the way that... I mean, I had this young girl that, that texted me the other day and I put on when we finished, uh, you, want your, you want your refunds, you know, come speak to me, you get your refunds for your vouchers, whatever else. Uh, and she asked once she wanted a party in March and she put on to uh, she party in March or sent her an invoice at the beginning of December um, and she hadn't paid it by the time we closed the restaurant and we put it all out, you can have your money back. So for me, I'm not going to contact you because you haven't paid for it, so there's no booking. But she paid for it about a week after we closed the business and then jumped all over you know, digital channels, you know, calling me a thief and, and a rat and a whole range of different things and disgraceful. And, and I'm sat there thinking people have this, this whole perception that they have the right to treat you in a specific way. Um, and I think, that, I think that's a little bit sad. I think yeah. that's a little bit sad, but that's just the way that the world is and that's how it's developed. Is it, is it a good way to develop? I don't think so, but I think it's just you got to deal with it. I think it's social media in a way spilling into normal life like there used to be a price you'd pay for outrage if you have a go at your ne next door neighbor there's a chance that it may turn to violence it may turn to more escalated problems but there'd be a real response from your neighbor when you did it nowadays people are used to just slagging people off online and there being no repercussions oh, absolutely absolutely they can say and do whatever they want um, with, 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 without fear of, of criticism, without fear of, of anything. And it, some, some of the times, when I first came into this, the social media channels, 
Oh, Christ, it must be about 12 years ago. I used to stay up at night absolutely stressing because on LinkedIn, professional platform, there'd be people with like capital letters, you know, that were, were literally just like keyboard warriors. They were vile and venomous. And I think all the way from my business, uh, business life, um, I've, I've come to realize that, you know, you need haters. These people who, who are your haters are your biggest fans. Mm. You know, I've got I've got people that, and I had people sending me anonymous letters at one point. Um, I've had anonymous phone calls, even as early as like, you know, on Monday with my birthday, I'll have an anonymous phone call with some weird ass song being played down with it. They have some kind and I'm happy enough and have kind of flattered that A, they've taken energy from their lives to remember it's my blinking birthday and do this because your haters are your biggest fans. And you, you really need, if you don't have haters, you need to go out and get some haters and, um, or you're not doing a very good job. Yeah. But it's really difficult. And I think a lot of people, um, when I did uh, come down to me about six, seven years ago, and I, and I still get on with the people that, you know, I did the program with and I went and won it. And I said to them, I said, just do me a favor. On the night that this is shown, do not take to social media. Stay off it. Because, they, I mean, especially one of them, uh, she was a lovely lady, but did she get absolutely ragged because of her personality and people are vile. I remember Robbie Savage coming off Twitter on the day of his dad's death because he went onto Twitter and somebody turned around and said, I'm glad that bastard's burning in hell. And I'm sat thinking, and that is exactly the, the issue that you have. It's not about trying to counter messaging from the, your, your Andrew Tates of the world or, you know, stopping people from like anti-bullying. It's that, that, whole, that whole particular um, sphere of, of just unadulterated... Um, bile, which goes without goes without consequence, if you will, I think is is quite problematic. And unless you're prepared to be able to develop thick skin and learn how to be able to deal with that and to draw strength from somebody taking their energy and directing it to you, um, I understand exactly why your, your people like your Frank Bruno's and your Caroline Flax and and different individuals have had issues mm. because um, in a world when you can be anything, most people don't hashtag be kind. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You don't. It's a shortcut to achievement being a critic, isn't it? And you said on one of your Instagram videos, like, no statue is ever made of a critic. No. And the, the lions don't concern themselves with the... No, lions don't concern themselves with the opinions of sheep. And that was long before it came onto Game of Thrones. But the other, my favourite one is that <laughs> a bee doesn't waste its time trying to tell a fly why honey tastes better than shit. Yeah. Do you know, it's literally, the, you, you have to, again, it's down, down to that belief system. You know, if, if if what you want to do is to center your energies into negativity, um, then you're going to just attract negativity into your life. But if you can draw strength from the fact that somebody else has channeled their time and energy specifically at you, even if it's something that you don't like, like a crazy-ass letter coming through your door written by somebody with a left hand that it looks like a psycho, and I think he probably was. I'm saying a he, but I don't know who it was. Um, you've got, like, as much as a bit freaky, there's also an element of, like, why have you, how, why have you gone and done that? And it, it should be quite... You know, quite, quite, you should be quite proud. You're worried with badge of honour, to be honest. Because yeah. if you don't have haters, like I said, you're not doing a very good job. No. No. Because you, you, need, you need to be able to... Not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everyone's going to like you. Um, and, and to be honest, you, you have a small core circle of family and friends and everybody outside of that, they either fit with inside or they don't. Um, but you shouldn't really wear. I've got like two, maybe three top fellas or top people in my life. I might, I might have like, you know, 
15,000 different friends on different platforms and stuff like that, but I've actually only got three actual proper friends. Mm. So I know the ones that, you know, will travel from Newcastle to see me just because they have a day off and they will just go and do stuff and Andy that came in then. Do you know what I mean? I don't have massive amounts because I don't need massive amounts. Yeah. And I don't think people should. I want to switch tracks. Um, you started Pintos yep. coming out of lockdown or yep. sort of within it. And I read online and what I read resonated with me that lockdown was an extremely isolating time yeah. and a difficult time. And opening up Pintos was a sort of project to to get yourself in gear and, and, and get out of that sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. isolation. Did it work? Did it? It did. It did. And I think it did for many reasons. I mean, the thing is, is I've just spent the last like six years, you know, um, having my dad battle cancer. Uh, and he's been like, you know, my best friend. You know, I've got a big family, but a lot of them have all moved uh, out of town and stuff like that. And I've always stayed close because I'm, I'm quite a family orientated geezer. Uh, and this was our last job that we did as like electricians and stuff together. Um, so there was there was a lot of there was a lot of fun and excitement with that. But it was again, I enjoyed lockdown because I was homeschooling with the kids. Um, the business was sold. My, my other business was sold during lockdown. Um, but all my friends and my wife was still working for that business. I was told you had to find a stone and climb under it. We don't even want to see you um, on the national circuits at all for at least three years. It just, you know, the, you needed to be away from the electrical industry, um, which for a lot of people might sound like it's a really good idea. But for someone like me, when you're always up there, I mean, we're hiring out cinemas and filling them to like hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, every month and doing presentations with like the industry's leading um, voices of authority. And, and we created, you know, a hell of a, have a reputation um, and a quite, quite, um, quite a trailblazing reputation as well in the industry. But to go from that to nothing, and when the kids went back to school, uh, it was very difficult for me because it was still locked down there. I couldn't go out, and so I think the isolationism um, and everything sort of really got on top of me. I feel a little bit like that at the moment, not because I've sold pinchos, but it's the fact that, um, you know, I've got quite a lot going on, you know, from an external point of view, and, you know, things are coming to, like, a climactic end uh, with me or man over the next few months, I think, um, if I'm lucky enough to get a few more months out of him. Uh, and I think that... Again, you, you sort of end up shifting. But at that moment, it was a really, really good way of being able to focus my attention um, away from either boredom or isolationism um, or loneliness into something that was going to be, you know, positively positive. Mm. And opening up a finger buffy in the middle of a pandemic, I was either going to be known for herd immunity in Preston or type 2 diabetes. <laughs> they will build a statue of me, whether it's just to throw eggs at, I don't know. But either way, you know, that that was that was definitely the way forward for me. And it's been amazing. The journey has been phenomenal. Um, but I've always wanted a restaurant. I've always wanted this building in the centre of Preston. A lot of attraction, again, got me this building in the centre of Preston, which I'm not going to sell. Mm. I got me my restaurant that I was open. Got some great critics and some great reviews. I've met some amazing people, and I could tick it off my bucket list. But ultimately, I'm a businessman first and foremost, so there's no point ever trying to sell it when it's at the top. You sell it when you're on that way, and you make sure that you can demonstrate to a potential investor moving forward, to which we have quite a few lined up, that there is a lot a gas in the tank there for them to be able to 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 be able to develop different revenue streams and maybe take the branding to different cities where I believe you know it belongs with higher concentrations of Spanish and Latino people. Mm. You're a businessman, and obviously the logic there is to sell it when there's enough gas in the tank. Mm -hmm. Is this still going to be your baby? Would you sell it if 
<clears throat> is there um, an emotional consideration in who you sell it to to make sure that Pinto stays true to the vision that you created? I think anybody that pays the price that I'm asking for it is going to keep it to as close to the vision that they're, they're going to, you know, I've been approached by, you know, quite a considerable amount of people that, that operate with inside the Preston Arena. They just want to rent the building. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not interested in just renting a building um, because A, there's been a lot of work that's gone into it. Uh, and, I, and I also believe, and neither is it worth me giving it away to existing members of staff because... I understand the amount of money and time that goes into being able to deliver this. So you've got to be able to demonstrate you've got the funds to be able to buy the to buy the business with the with the with the fixed energy contracts that were negotiated. Um, you've also got to be able to demonstrate that you have the funding to be able to continue this, and that you are willing to accept a ten year um, lease with a five year break clause, three uh, three year uh, rent reviews um, on a, on an upward incline. So. It sort of it weeds quite a bit of people out of the out of the running for it, mm. but for me, you know, somebody said like, well, why don't you sell the building? I said, well, I've got near enough two hundred million being spent in the centre of Preston, so in about three years' time, this place will be infinitely better than it is now because it's a building site. It's a bit of a hovel, is Preston in some respects, but it's got a really, really vibrant and an exciting, emerging, independent uh, food and drink vibe, mm. which. I think a couple of people that came to see me during this week have got uh, Rosette Michelin experience. Um, they're, they're experienced operators. And, you know, they're the sort of people that I really want to be trying to drag forward to be able to develop this business and move, for, move it on. Because I do foresee versions of this in different cities, although whilst playing on the Pincho brands, they may not be by Pinchos in every city because you can look at this one being synonymous with the north of Spain uh, across the, the Basque region. But then you could look at a place in Leeds called Palacotardo by, by Pinchos. And Palacotardo is a type of sherry. So then that could be very much centred around sherries in the Jerez region uh, and Andalusian flavours. And then you could take a different name. You could go to Catalonia and open a, a, a Catalonian um, restaurant in Manchester. And you know, Catalonia by, by Pinchos, whatever it could be because then it would allow each and every restaurant to be able to have the individual creativity that it requires in order to be able to achieve the accolades on its own right without being pigeonholed into a national chain where you have a central distribution and all the food is just sent out and it's bish, bash, bosh, which mm. tends to be generally the way for a lot of the chains. So there is, I mean, there are, there are a lot of different revenue streams like the, the online bodegas that we didn't do, you know, the subscription boxes, there's a whole range of different things there that we were going to be able to launch. Uh, and we were going to take it down that route. But for me, I haven't got seven days a week in me and here because I've got a family and I've got other projects that I need to be paying me attention to. So it's just, it was just that now is the right time after a great year, great Christmas, great reviews. If I'd opened it with the staff that I got, you know, they will try hard, but the customers are not forgiving. So over Christmas, when people were dropping with flu and with COVID, nobody cares that your staff are dropping with flu and COVID, they'll just jump on Twitter and call you a bunch of twats. So mm. it's a case of like that. And I remember listening to one of your podcasts with Marco Rock, and he, and he had a very similar sort of story about how customers were never quite forgiving because of the way that he tried to open Lanetta. It didn't quite open it the way he wanted to. And he was just absolutely mauled for it. But, Ultimately, failure carries with it the seeds of an equal or greater reward. But customers' expectations are massive. They want champagne services at cream soda prices. Mm. So you have to try and manage that and understand that what is the point of trying to open it with the staff that you've got and making them 
bleed from the eye sockets if you're not going to get the reward from the end user who will look towards saying more about the things that they didn't get right rather than understanding exactly what it is. I mean, you'll talk about Spanish places not being authentic. If you go to Spain, they'll spit in your food, keep you in a cupboard, not serve you for 48 <laughs> hours, and you'll come home saying it's the best experience of your life. <laughs> you walk in here, it's not even manana, manana, manana. Okay. Don't even mention manana because by the time you finish saying manana, mm. they're already criticising, they'll be waiting too long and they're going to be all over TripAdvisor. <laughs> so I'm like, do you know what? Just behave yourself, give your head a wobble and just go and get yourself a Fanta lemon. That being said, the response when you posted that you were closing Pintos was overwhelmingly positive. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I've never experienced that. Not from me, but just I've been trudging these boardwalks for like 40 years or so. You know what I mean? I mean, my dad's done quite a lot of the bars and nightclubs up in Preston over the years, and I've been with him with shop fitters and sparkies. I've never known a bar or a restaurant in Preston that has closed that have received... I'm not saying it just because it's mine, because, I mean, it sounds quite big-headed, but I've never seen a bar or a restaurant that's closed in Preston that's received such an overwhelming... It's like there's, like, emotional attachment to it. Mm. People were genuinely devastatedly gutted and I'm sat there thinking and it it touched me and it humbled me massively to, to a point um and it made me it made me incredibly proud of what I'd been out and achieved um but then it also reinforced that whole belief system that even if people tell you that you cannot do it um it's generally a reason why they're telling you you can't do it um, you've just got to be able to put that to one side and have that overwhelming belief and the pockets to be able to back it, to be able to drive forward with what it is that you're wanting to create. Mm. So I mean, we're not closing it because of cost of living crisis or anything like that. You know, it, it's purely down to, you know, I've got family stuff that needs to be dealt with um, and I've got something there that requires individuals that have more time than I to be able to dedicate seven days a week and being able to create that, that rosette establishment in the centre of Preston, and especially if they decide to continue down the whole um, Spanish cuisine route, they could have probably one of the, the most highly regarded Spanish cuisine eatery, eateries in the north of England. Mm. And I think that is is a worthy goal. It's like worthy goals are goals that you don't believe necessarily you can achieve, but you go for them anyway. Moonshots. You know what I mean? Absolute moonshots. Because it's like saying to somebody, what, you, what's your goal this year? I'm going to buy myself a Porsche. What you're driving at the moment, I'm driving a Porsche, but it's not really a goal, is it? You know, you're wasting your life. You know you can do that. So why are you wasting your time on setting a goal for something you know you can achieve? Mm. Set a goal for something you don't believe you can achieve. And therefore you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna run a five K race, train for ten. You train for five and you run a five K race, you'll just limp over the line. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So you've just really got to sort of like take it to that next level and be damned with everybody else that wants to pretend to be a big fish in a little pond. Yeah. Because that's not everybody was born genetically to be better than somebody else and to be better everyone was born to be genetically better at something than everybody else in the world now you've just got to figure out what that thing is mm. and then just chase after it because there's absolutely no point in wasting your time if you were born to stand out mm. and then that's you don't you don't have to be liked you know what i mean you don't have to be respected you just have to be happy with you as an individual and do what you believe is right I think it's exactly right. I think know, knowing yourself and then what you can do with yourself. You, you mean you know, don't you? You know, if you're sat at home and, and depressed, you know it's because there's a potential that you're not realising. There may be other reasons, but all things being equal, if you don't realise your potential, potential, it nags at you. It nags hmm. at your sleep. It nags at your motivation. 
And you'll do something, you'll try it once and you'll be like, this was it. This was the thing. And people find it. And when it comes to the expectations, it's like no one thought you could do like a six minute mile or something like that until yeah, it was yeah. done. And, and then, then everybody, everybody did, it. did it. Until everybody did it. You know, people were looking at me saying it's the wrong location. This centre in front of the Harris Museum next to the Shankly and stuff like that will be the location in Preston to be. Mm. If you have money and you can just buy a property and keep hold of it for the next three years, this will be the centre of Preston where it all happens. You know, I envisage, you know, seating around the flag market, the flag market being full of street performers that, that look like statues that then move when you put mm. a coin in the front of them, people eating outside, loads of activity going on. The Harris Museum being rammed the the, the 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 guild hall hosting christmas um, pantos again the shankly five-star hotel you've got the animate project if we don't get the event space in preston then the animate project that we're getting down the um the market down the roads with a bowling alley cinema we'll do the same to preston as it's done to chorley which will, it will decimate it mm. because it won't bring people to preston it will just dilute the existing market because if you think oh we'll brought revolution we've got mowgli or bring people to preston it doesn't it dilutes the markets hotels are dead on the weekends because there's no reason to come to Preston. Put a 3,000-seater event space in the centre of Preston and you're going to create an opportunity for people to be able to, your Kings of Leons of the world and different really top high-end bands coming to Preston, the Snooker World Cup back to Preston, bring mm. people back into Preston. Whether people in Lancashire like it or not, we are the centre of Lancashire. We are the capital of Lancashire. All roads don't lead to Rome. All roads lead to Fishergate and the flag market. Nice. So I mean that that's that's the ultimate vision of it, but it's just you 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 are battling against you are battling against with um, administrations that you know either believe that profit is a dirty word and you know they have their own particular agenda and stuff like that, which can be very frustrating. But I think you know there will only be a certain amount of time before you know people of press decide to take matters into their own hands with, with and that, that would be the power of a vote in order to be able to change it you don't have to go Tory they could go liberal do whatever bloody hell they want they could even go towards trying to bring a more um, centre minded um, administration towards being able to look at Preston mm. because at the moment we need we need forward thinking leaders to be able to help deliver on this vision of Preston without just throwing tithe barn on the table whenever, you know, private enterprise wants to go and do something to generate it and go, no, we're not, because this is what happened last time we got into bed with private enterprise. You know, put mm. that to one side, you know, forget about it, look at what's best. And the more money we generate in Preston, the more tax receipts go into the coffers and the more money we can deal with being able to get to your Fox and Centres, to your people that are living rough on the streets. You generate that wealth, you're able to then tax that wealth and that taxed wealth will then go to be able to help the people that need it the most. Mm. But if you don't, you're missing out on the trick. I think you're right about the location as well. This is such a, and we got the Shankly coming up now and Rachel who designed here is doing the rebrand yep. for the Harris as well. So that's going to be fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I'm meeting someone on Friday and they said, where should we meet? And my default response is outside the Harris yeah. on the flag. It is the centre of Preston. It is. It is. It's absolutely the centre of Preston. There's so many cities and towns that have a similar setup outside here that are just littered with outside vendors with tables and chairs and kids playing. You look at the, the antisocial behaviour which, which plagues this particular part of Preston. If you fill it with people eating and drinking, even to the early hours of the evening, it's about 10 o'clock at night, the more people who are here, it will deter those antisocial kids from coming around there because it's no longer quiet. Mm. There's more chance for being caught or nicked. Do you know what I mean? So therefore, you, you're sort of like, 
And it's not, it's not even like gentrification, but you're building massive apartments around Preston and you're looking also down at the Fishergate. Not Fishergate, it's Fishergate. What's the one at the bottom? Yes, Fishergate Centre. Um, to be looking at grade A offices and grade A apartments. But you, you put people in there, why would they stay in Preston? Mm. Most of the windows are smashed. You've got people camping on the streets. Just jump on a train and pay £10.50 and go to Manchester. So it's about being able to bring those individuals into Preston, but it's also about being able to retain those people in Preston and to be able to show people exactly why Preston is such a vibrant independent. In that week that we had the review from, um, or the mention from Jay Rayner uh, from MasterChef in the Guardian Observer, you are tipsy chef at the marketplace that was also visited by a very high-profile uh, YouTuber. We've got some great, great beard, talents. Beard versus food. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. You know, some great, great talents, you know what I mean? We've got a lot of things to be incredibly proud of, but we're also spoiled as a city to have so much choice from food and drink. You know, we've got a lot of places that are offering cheap food, cheap drinks, which doesn't mean that the food and drink is bad. It just means it's a value proposition. It's a value um, where, you know, your students, you can get more pounds, you can get more money for your pound, if you will. Mm. But they're the ones that will struggle during the coming year because your, your Aldi and your little shoppers will be all right. Um, your ones that were shopping at Waitrose will do okay. But all those middle earners that um, in new, new mortgage poverty that are going out there are the ones that will feel a pinch of increased prices more than either other extreme set ends of the spectrum, if you will, through this whole, what I consider to be an incredibly forced recession, something that we shouldn't be having, but is more sort of like made up, if you will. I think it's been orchestrated deliberately, and, I, and I'm no I can't understand necessarily why, um, but it just feels like there are two huge difference. There's two spectrums. Those without will do okay. Those with, we looked at the other went into five guys the other day, and I had my three kids and my wife, and we only had a couple of burgers, seventy five quid. Then I turned around, seventy five quid for like a burger each, some chips and a diet coke, and five guys. And I turned around, and it was a family of twelve. And I'm not prejudging them, but they they look like they'd come from um of you know one of the, the more deprived estates in Preston, if you will. Mm. But there was twelve of them. I'm sat there thinking, it's like if you have a choice between heating and eating, I'd go twelve of you to McDonald's because it's infinitely cheaper. Yeah. But I've just paid seventy five quid. How on earth can you justify having a five guys in Preston in in the middle of a cost of living crisis? But you've opened a flannels as well. We're loads of kids walking out of there with Balenciaga trainers on at six hundred quid a trainer, and yet we're in a recession. You can't get a builder for twelve months. Do you know what I mean? It's all this trust's fault. It's like when you get through all of that crap and you actually look deep into it, and without talking about conspiracy theories, you realise quite quickly that if you've got a high-end establishment in Preston or anywhere else, you'll do quite well because there is a huge swathe of society that has a vast amount of wealth. If you've got bargain ends of the spectrum, they'll do all, they'll do quite well because you can still get a decent shopping basket or little and Aldi for next to nothing mm. um, and feed yourself quite well. But it's all that middle-earning aspects of it which will struggle the ones that do your asses and your Sainsbury's because they're the ones that are still buying your houses are trying to live that life but then are infinitely or, or are instantaneously affected by any slight increases in the cost of living because they haven't got that spare capital to be able to spend. Mm. 
which is uh, which is which is an interesting interest. I mean, I don't think I don't think it'll last forever. Uh, I think we'll I think we'll get better before it gets worse. I don't listen to economic uh, forecasts anymore much because um, I look at what stocks are doing, I look at what shares are doing because they're usually six months ahead of the curve. Um, the Bank of England's isn't really as accurate as what it would like to put out. Neither does it tell us the truth. Um, and I think that towards the end of this year, we, we'll find ourselves as as an economy, and as a country, coming out the other side of this particular turbulence. But I just look at it thinking this turbulence wasn't necessarily required. In fact, it wasn't required, and it was something that was, that's been weaponized uh, and I think been unnecessarily forced upon us as a nation. But uh, what can I do? I've just gob off on a microphone. <laughs> What's next for you? Don't know. Um, build me house, finish that off. Um, look after me old man, sort my kids out of school. Uh, and then I'll just have a look and see what I am quite interested at the moment. And I do see, you know, the, um, the, the, the revenue generating potential of um, video streaming sites mm. uh, and your, your podcast do, aspects you're going to be doing lap dancing not quite not quite I'm not doing only fans and showing people my scaggly <laughs> ass nails on my feet either um, but there's like if, if you look at the way that you can monetize things like YouTube and, 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 and VO sites and stuff like that there's a massive amount so Part of me thinks that maybe I look at a couple of different channels. Um, I'm still doing my diploma in Spanish wines. I'm just doing a, a high-end catering qualification with Proleaf um, for, for a Proleaf Academy. Um, I fancy going on 10 days around like Germany on like a wine and culinary sort of exploration, uh, videoing it and looking at it. Then I might go to Vietnam and look at different places and then really sort of like drive that. And then I think that from that is probably, I'll probably do about six special events during the course of the year uh, around Lancashire and Ribble Valley. Um, again, it will be, you know, probably five, six courses, wine paired, but I'm not sure whether I won't chef for all of them, but I might end up then showcasing a lot of the up-and-coming talents around Ribble Valley and Lancashire. But the people that will be attending these particular events we'll never know whether I'm doing it or whether somebody else is doing it mm. because they used to have like a, quite an, a, an exclusive um, pop-up supper club night, which I took around for quite a while. Um, you couldn't get, you couldn't get a ticket. You couldn't buy a ticket. You, you couldn't register to get on there. You were literally selected from, from a multitude of different platforms that I've got. Uh, and there were, there were, there were thousands of people on each of these platforms, even on my personal one. Um, and, I would invite, say, six strangers to a location six times a year. And then you pay me what you believe it's worth and that money goes to whatever charity you decide to get behind on the course of that year. Your only rules were you weren't allowed to either photograph me or even mention me by name. So then I became known as like the Banksy of the food world from uh, <clears throat> when I went to Lancashire uh, radio. Um, even they were told that they couldn't call me by my name. And if they were doing any video, then they weren't to show me face. So they, they they referred to me as the as the the, the name that I went out under, nice. uh, and it was it was quite a really good thing. And it was only a shame that COVID came in that sort of like kicked it out of the park. So I'll still do a lot, and I still want to champion the development of Preston as a whole. Um, but I think you know being able to being able to speak to people, I think is a great way to be able to alleviate anxiety and stress. But I also think that sometimes being able to create like your podcast that you've got here and also your video channels and your different things that you've got. I think they're great ways as well of being able to sort of like to, to vent out in a productive way. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about jumping on there and be some sort of like 
misogynistic bandwagon supporter and following, you know, Andrew Tate and a few of his others. There's a lot of stuff he says I think is quite class. There's a lot of stuff I just sit there and I think, you know what, mate, why are you saying that? Because you don't need to. Do you know what I mean? I know you say things that, I mean, I say things that people, I say things that people would love to say, but they won't. Um, and it will trigger half the room just by walking in it. But there's doing that and then it's taking it to that other level. Mm. And I think there's a level that he doesn't need. I mean, it's all top G stuff and, you know, the empowerment to young men to be able to get off their asses, get to the gyms, feel good about themselves, stop stressing about women, all the rest of that sort of stuff. I think he's all great. You know, look after your family, make a load of money and live a great life. <clears throat> I think he's incredibly admirable. But then there's other bits that he just starts bagging on about and I'm just sitting there and I think, you know, why? Yeah. Well, what's the point? I don't see the, don't see the reason you're doing that because... It's just quite, and I know, I know that sometimes controversy gets notoriety, and therefore that can also. But I, I think the 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 great messages that, and some of the good messages that him and other people similar to him put out there get completely lost in the ether um, mm. and replaced with all the the negative shit that they spout. Yeah, so, the packaging is ruining the actual product. Well, I don't mind the packaging. I just think you need to just package it and just put a warning label on there. You know what I mean? I think it just like just like jumps out and goes, surprise, I'm going to wipe you out. And I just <laughs> think, why have you done that, mate? But he has said, you know, he's got three lives. First, they'll try and cancel him, which if not, then they'll try and arrest him, which I don't think they will. Um, I don't know if they've got him, but they'll end up letting him out yeah. and then they'll kill him. So, Suicide you know, him. Yeah, well, something like that, yeah. I think he's upset enough of the wrong people in the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so you can go out and you can you can affect positive change um, and you can do that by speaking your mind but you've also got to understand that just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do mm. so I'm all for freedom of speech you can you can you can be whatever you want to be and you can say whatever you want to say but just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do there's always ways of being able to do it um, in, a, in a respectful manner I think that's my opinion anyway so bollocks to it <laughs> That's the per perfect place to stop. Yep. Well, that's your lot from this episode. Um, but before you go rushing off to bask in the glorious sunshine of Preston, that it's uh, very well known for, we want to ask you a small favour. We'd love to see a podcast from Preston called P-Town feature in the iTunes charts for people all over the world, uh, certainly England, to be tapping in and learning about our city. And that can only happen if um, Apple thinks that there's some value or entertainment value at least in the podcast so if you can just take two minutes right now um, and leave us a quick review or even just tap the five star uh, thingamajig on either spotify or apple or whatever podcast player you're listening to us too um, we really appreciate it i'll start to read out some of the reviews as well at the end of the podcast so you'll get your little two minutes of fame there as well uh, but most importantly it's about promoting the city which is what we're about and giving us a review certainly will help do that. And you'll definitely see us celebrating if P-Town makes it to the top of the charts. I just want to also call out that the music for this episode, uh, which you heard at the beginning and you will hear in a moment, is by a local band called Geese, one of my absolute favourite bands. Um, and you can find the link to all their stuff as well in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. We've got tons of fantastic guests lined up for this year. It's properly going to step up, and we hope to see you come back again. Toodaloo.